Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, March 2nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That would be episode 183, I believe. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely recommend you get a, go to yeah, go over there, excuse me, go over there, find stuff to listen to. Um, believe me, you're going to run out of time to listen to all the things you want to listen to over there. It's definitely worth your while. Great men and women of God doing wonderful, wonderful work over there um, for great listening. Many, many, many different podcasts. Definitely worth your while. Um, I also want to remind you to uh, take a look at the last link in the show notes. That is the link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our um, mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative within our community uh, for our kids and grandchildren. So um, go ahead and click on the link uh, and take a read. It'll be a little bit more solid of a description than I've just given you. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, we're going to be doing our morning segment. We'll be doing our regular Bible reading. And then our evening segment, we're going to continue on in reading in Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. So let's go ahead and get started here in the morning segment. We're going to go ahead and open up like we usually do on the fifth day of the week with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called The Giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and our I'm sorry. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy. In the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamations of the gospel, make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, and now our morning devotion for March 2nd from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, the text for it comes from 1 Samuel 13.20. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every ma every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. We are engaged in a great war with the Philistines of evil. Every weapon within our reach must be used. Preaching, teaching, praying, giving, all must be brought into action and talents which have been thought too mean for service must now be employed. Coulter and axe and mattock may all be useful in slaying Philistines. Rough tools may deal hard blows, and killing need not be elegantly done, so long as it is done effectually. Each moment of time, in season or out of season, each fragment of ability, educated or untutored, each opportunity, favorable or unfavorable, must be used for our foes are many, and our force but slender. Most of our tools want sharpening. We need quickness of perception, tact, energy, promptness, in a word, complete adaptation for the Lord's work. 
Practical common sense is a very scarce thing among the conductors of Christian enterprises. We might learn from our enemies if we would, and so make the Philistines sharpen our weapons. This morning let us note enough to sharpen our zeal during this day by the aid of the Holy Spirit. See the energy of the Papists, how they compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Are they to monopolize all the earnestness? Mark the heathen devotees, what tortures they endure and the service of their idols. Are they alone to exhibit patience and self-sacrifice? Observe the prince of darkness, how persevering in his endeavors, how unabashed in his attempts, how daring in his plans, how thoughtful in his plots, how energetic in all. The devils are united as one man in their infamous rebellion, while we believers in Jesus are divided in our service of God and scarcely ever work with unanimity. Oh, that from Satan's infernal industry we may learn to go about like good Samaritans, seeking whom we may bless. All right, and now into our reading. We're in the book of Leviticus. Hang on. All right, we're starting in the book of um, Leviticus, starting in chapter 25 at verse 47. Now, if the means of a sojourner or of a foreign resident with you become sufficient, and a brother of yours becomes so poor with regard to him as to sell himself to a sojourner who resides with you, or to the descendants of a sojourner's family, then he shall have redemption rights after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or one of his blood relatives from his family may redeem him, or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. He then, with his purchaser, shall calculate from the year when he sold himself to him up to the year of Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall correspond to the number of years. It is like the days of hired man that he shall be with him. If there are still many years, he shall return part of his purchase price in proportion to them for his own redemption. And if a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, he shall so calculate with him. In proportion to his years, he shall return the amount for his redemption. Like a man hired year by year, he shall be with him. He shall not have dominion over him with brutality in your sight. Even if he is not redeemed by these means, he shall still go out in the year of Jubilee, he and his sons with him. For the sons of Israel are my slaves. They are my slaves whom I bought out from the land of Egypt. I'm sorry, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. Leviticus 26. You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves a graven image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a carved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am Yahweh, your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and fear my sanctuary. I am Yahweh. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to do them, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will give forth its produce, and the trees of the field will give forth their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape-gathering, and grape-gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also give you peace in the land, so that you may lie down, with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate wild beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. But you will pursue your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. And five of you will pursue one hundred, and one hundred of you will pursue ten thousand. And your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. And you will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not loathe you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke, and made you walk erect. But if you do not obey me, and do not do all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes, and if you, if your soul loathes my judgments, so as not to do all my commandments, and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror consumption, and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away also. You will sow your seed uselessly, for your enemies will eat it up. And I will set my face against you, so that you will be defeated before your enemies. And those who hate you will have dominion over you, and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If also, after these things, you do not obey me, then I will discipline you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down your pride of strength. 
I will also give your sky over to your sky over to become like iron and your earth like bronze and your power will be spent uselessly for your land will not give forth its produce and the trees of the land will not give forth their fruit. If then you walk in hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. And I will send out among you the beasts of the field, which will bereave you of your children and cut down your cattle and reduce your numbers so that your road lies desolate. And if by these things you do not accept my discipline, but walk in hostility against me, then I will walk in hostility against you, and I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. I will also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant, and when you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence among you, so that you shall be given over into enemy hands. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring back your bread by rationed weight, so that you will eat and not become full. Yet, if in spite of this you do not obey me, but walk in hostility against me, then I will walk in wrathful hostility against you. And I, even I, will discipline you seven times for your sins. Further, you will eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. I then will destroy your high places, and cut down your incense altars, and give your corpses to lie on the corpses of your idols, for my soul shall loathe you. And I will give your cities over as a waste, and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your soothing aromas, and I will make the land desolate, so that your enemies who inhabit it will themselves feel desolate because of it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations, and will draw out a sword after you, as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. Then the land will make up, make up for its Sabbath all the days of the desolation, and you will be in your enemy's land. Then the land will rest and make up for its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it will observe the rest which it did not observe on your Sabbaths, while you were living on it. As for those of you who may remain, I will also bring weakness into their hearts, and the lands of their enemies, and the sound of a driven leaf will pursue them, and even when no one is pursuing they will flee as though from the sword, and they will fall. They will therefore stumble over each other as if running from the sword, although no one is pursuing and you will have no strength to stand up before your enemies, but you will perish among the nations, and your enemy's land will consume you. So those of you who may remain will rot away in their iniquity, in the lands of your enemies, and also in the iniquities of their fathers, they will rot away with them. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their fathers, and their unfaithfulness which they committed against me, and also how they walked in hostility against me, I also was walking in hostility against them, to bring them into the land of their enemies. Or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they then make up for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land, for the land will be forsaken by them, and will make up for its Sabbaths, while it is made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, will be making up for their iniquity, because they rejected my judgments, and their soul loathed my statutes. Yet, yet in spite of this, when they are in the land for, of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so loathe them as to bring an end to them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am Yahweh their God. But I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am Yahweh. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which Yahweh has given to be between himself and the sons of Israel by the hand of Moses at Mount Sinai. Leviticus 27. Just a minute. All right. Leviticus 27. We're going to read through to verse 13. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man makes a difficult vow, he shall be valued according to your valuation of persons belonging to Yahweh. If your valuation is of the male from 20 years even to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Or if it is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. If it be from 5 years even to 20 years old, then your valuation for the male shall be 20 shekels, and for the female, 10 shekels. But if they are from a month even up to five years old, then your valuation shall be five shekels of silver for the male, and for the female your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. If they are from sixty years old and upward, if it is a male, then your valuation shall be fifteen shekels, and for the female, ten shekels. 
But if he is poorer than your valuation, then he shall be presented before the priest, and the priest shall value him according to the means of the one who vowed. The priest shall value him. Now if it is an animal of the kind which men can bring near as an offering to Yahweh, any such that one gives to Yahweh shall be holy. He shall not replace it or exchange it, a, a good for a bad, or a bad for a good. Or if he does exchange animal for animal, then both it and its substitute shall become holy. If, however, it is any unclean animal of the kind which men do not bring near as an offering to Yahweh, then he shall present the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he should ever wish to redeem it, then he shall add one-fifth of it to your, to your valuation. All right. Mark 10, verses 32 through 52. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside, and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And three days later he will rise again. Then James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over, there, over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, he is calling for you. And throwing off his outer garment, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. All right. Psalm 45. For the choir director, according to Shushanim, of the sons of Korah, a masculine, a song of love. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is a pen of a skilled scribe. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty, and in your majesty ride on victoriously. For the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness, let your right hand teach your, you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces stringed instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty. 
because he is your Lord, bowed down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a present. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within her chamber. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her, will be brought to you. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. In place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall set them up as princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered from generation to every generation. Therefore the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. And finally, Proverbs 10:22. It is the beginning of Yahweh, or I'm sorry, it is the blessing of Yahweh that makes rich, and he adds no pain with it. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this morning um, as we partook of God's word. Um, I would continue to pray that it blesses you, that it is edifying for you to to continue to be exposed to the word of God. Um, I know it, 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 it definitely is good for me um, getting to read this for you. Um, and, and again, like I said, I pray that it is helpful. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day today. Um, I would continue to implore you to go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, The prayer we're going to close with from Valley of Vision is called Truth in Jesus. Let's pray. Life-giving God, quicken me to call upon thy name, for my mind is ignorant, my thoughts vagrant, my affections earthly, my heart unbelieving, and only the Spirit can help my infirmities. I approach thee as father and friend, my portion forever, my exceeding joy, my strength of heart. I believe in thee as the God of nature, the ordainer of providence, the sender of Jesus, my Savior. My guilty fears discourage and approach to thee, but I praise thee for the blessed news that Jesus reconciles thee to me. May the truth that is in him illuminate in me all that is dark, establish in me all that is wavering, comfort in me all that is wretched, accomplish in me all that is of thy goodness, and glorify in me the name of Jesus. I pass through a veil of tears, but bless thee for the opening gate of glory at its end. Enable me to realize as mine the better heavenly country. Prepare me for every part of my pilgrimage. Uphold my steps by thy word. Let no iniquity dominate me. Teach me that Christ cannot be the way if I am the end, that he cannot be redeemer if I am my own Savior, that there can be no true union with him while the creature has my heart, that faith accepts him as redeemer, and Lord, or not at all. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the March 2nd episode. This would be episode 183 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. It's definitely worth your while to get over there. Definitely worth your while. A lot, a lot of great content. Um, a lot of great podcasts over there, a number of men and women of God over there. I think we got pushing 50 or maybe just over 50 different podcasts over there. None of them, none of them are going to be a waste for you. All of them are worthwhile. Um, so I would definitely encourage you to go over there and listen. Um, so we're going to be continuing on in our reading of the godly man's picture from Thomas Watson um, this, this evening. And again, as I've said before, yes, it says a godly man's picture. That was generally the audience, but what it's meant for really is this is the godly person's picture. This is what the godly man, godly person should look like. This is, this is what the godly person should manifest. These are the characteristics. So this is what we're going through. Um, so believe me, this doesn't just apply to men. This is for all of us. So we all should listen to this. Um, and honestly, it's, it's been very, 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 um, edifying for me to be reading through it. And I hope it has been for you. So with all that said, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to go ahead and open up with a, obviously with a prayer from Valley Vision, like we do every, every segment. Uh, the one we're going to open up with this evening is called Calvary's Anthem. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thou hast led me singing to the cross, where I fling down all my burdens and see them vanish. Where my mountains of guilt are leveled to a plain, where my sins disappear, though they are the greatest that exist, and are more in number than the grains of fine sand. For there is power in the blood of Calvary to destroy sins more than can be counted, even by one from the choir of heaven. Thou hast given me a hillside spring that washes clear and white, and I go as a sinner to its waters, bathing without hindrance in its crystal streams. At the cross there is free forgiveness for poor and meek ones, and ample blessings that last forever. The blood of the Lamb is like a great river of infinite grace, with never any diminishing of its fullness, as thirsty ones without number drink of it. O Lord, forever will thy free forgiveness live that was gained on the Mount of Blood. In the midst of a world of pain, it is a subject for praise in every place, a song on earth, an anthem in heaven, its love and virtue knowing no end. I have a longing for the world above, where multitudes sing the great song, for my soul was never created to love the dust of earth. Though, though here my spiritual state is frail and poor, I shall go on singing Calvary's anthem. May I always know that a clean heart full of goodness is more beautiful than the lily that only a clean heart can sing by night and by day, that such a heart is mine when I abide at Calvary. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for March 2nd. The text is from Ephesians 3, 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Apostle Paul felt it a great privilege to be allowed to preach the gospel. He did not look upon his calling as a drudgery, but he entered upon it with intense delight. Yet while Paul was thus thankful for his office, his success in it greatly humbled him. The fuller a vessel becomes, the deeper it sinks in the water. Idlers may indulge a fond conceit of their abilities because they are untried, but the earnest worker soon learns his own weaknesses. If you seek humility, try hard work. If you would know your nothingness, attempt some great thing for Jesus. If you would feel how utterly powerless you are apart from the living God, attempt especially the great work of proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ, and you will know, as you never knew before, what a weak, unworthy thing you are. Although the apostle thus knew and confessed his weakness, he was never perplexed as to the subject of his ministry. From his first sermon to his last, Paul preached Christ and nothing but Christ. He lifted up the cross and extolled the Son of God, who bled thereon. Follow his example in all your personal efforts to spread the glad tidings of salvation, and let Christ and him crucified be your ever-recurring theme. The Christian should be like those lovely spring flowers, which, when the sun is shining, open their golden cups, as if saying, Fill us with thy beams. But when the sun is hidden behind a cloud, they close their cups and droop their heads. So should the Christian feel the sweet influence of Jesus. Jesus must be his son, and he must be the flower which yields itself to the son of righteousness. Oh, to speak of Christ alone, this is the subject which is both seed for the sower and bread for the eater. This is the live coal for the lips of the speaker and the master key to the heart of the hearer. All right. So, our reading from Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. So our section, so like I've said before, uh, we're working through, sorry, I've got my mouse jumping all over the place. So we're working through, just a minute, we're working through the fourth large section, which is really the crux of the book. And this fourth large section is about the characteristics of the godly man, the characteristics of the godly person. And so we've covered 16 of those characteristics already. And today is our 17th characteristic, which is the godly man is a thankful man. So that characteristic is that he's thankful that the godly man is thankful. So let's get into our reading. A godly section 17, a godly man is a thankful man. Praise and thanksgiving is the work of heaven. And the godly man begins that work here, which he will always be doing in heaven. The Jews have a saying, the world subsists by three things, the law, the worship of God, and thankfulness. As if where thankfulness is lacking, one of the pillars of the world would be taken, would be taken away, and it would be ready to fall. The Hebrew word for praise comes from a root that signifies to shoot up. The godly man sends up his praises like a volley of shots towards heaven. 
David was modeled after God's heart, and how melodiously he warbled out God's praises. Therefore he was called the sweet singer of Israel, 2 Samuel 23.1. Take a Christian at his worst, and yet he is thankful. The prophet Jonah was a man of waspish spirit. The sea was not so stirred with the tempest as Jonah's heart was stirred with passion. Yet through this cloud you might see grace appear. He had a thankful heart. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Jonah 2.9 To illustrate this more clearly, I will lay down these four particulars. Number 1. Praise and thanksgiving is a saint-like work. We find in Scripture that the godly are still called upon to praise God. You that fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Psalm 135.20 Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Psalm 149.5-6 Praise is a work that is proper to a saint. Number 1. None but the godly can praise God aright. Just do as all do not have the skill. Just as all do not have the skill to play the flute, so not everyone can sound out the harmonious praises of God. Wicked men are bound to praise God, but they are not fit to praise Him. None but a living Christian can tune God's praise. Wicked men are dead in sin. How can those who are dead lift up God's praises? The grave cannot praise you. Isaiah 38.18 A wicked man stains and eclipses God's praise. If a filthy hand works in damask or flowered satin, it will slur its beauty. God will say to the sinner, What right have you to take my covenant into your mouth? Psalm 50.16 Number 2. Praise is not lovely for any but the godly. Praise is lovely for the upright. Psalm 33.1 A profane man covered with God's praises is like a dunghill stuck over with flowers. Praise in the mouth of a sinner is like an oracle in the mouth of a fool. How unfitting it is for someone to praise God if his whole life is dishonoring to God. It is as indecent for a wicked man to praise God as it is for a thief to talk about living by faith or for the devil to quote scripture. Only the godly are fit to be choristers in God's praises. It is called the garment of praise, Isaiah 61.3. This garment sits handsomely only on a saint's back. Number two, thanksgiving is a more noble part of God's worship. Our needs may send us to prayer, but it takes a heart that is highly ingenious I'm sorry, ingenuous, to praise God. The raven cries, the lark sings. In petition, we act like men. In thanksgiving, we act like angels. Number three, thanksgiving is a God-exalting work. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. Psalm 50:23. Though nothing can add the least cubit to God's essential glory, yet praise exalts him in the eyes of others. Praise is setting forth God's honor, lifting up his name, displaying the trophy of his goodness, proclaiming his excellence, spreading his renown, breaking open the box of ointment by which the sweet savor and perfume of God's name is sent abroad into the world. Number four, praise is a more distinguishing work. By this work, a Christian excels all the infernal spirits. Do you talk of God? So can the devil. He brought scripture to Christ. Do you profess religion? So can the devil. He transforms himself into an angel of light. Do you fast? He never eats. Do you believe? The devils have a faith of assent. They believe and tremble. James 2.19 But just as Moses worked such a miracle that none of the magicians could reproduce it, so here is a work that Christians may be doing which none of the devils can do. And that is the work of thanksgiving. The devils blaspheme, but they do not bless. Satan has his fiery darts, but not his harp and vial. Use 1. See here the true genius and complexion of a godly man. He is much into doxologies and praises. It is a saying of Lactantius that a man who is unthankful to God cannot be a good man. A godly man is a God-exalter. The saints are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Where should God's praises be sounded, if not in his temple? A good heart is never weary of praising God. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 34, 1. Some will be thankful while the memory of the mercy is fresh, but afterwards they leave it behind. The Carthaginians at first sent a tenth of their yearly revenue to Hercules, but by degrees they grew weary and stopped sending it. David, as long as he drew his breath, would chirp forth God's praise. I will sing praises to my God while I have any being. Psalm 146.2 
David would not now and then give God a bit of music and then hang up his instrument, but he would be continually celebrating God's praise. Number one, a godly man will express his thankfulness in every duty. He mingles thanksgiving with prayer. In everything by prayer with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. Thanksgiving is the more divine part of prayer. In our petitions, we express our own necessities. In our thanksgivings, we declare God's excellence. When prayer, when prayer, it is perfumed with thanksgiving, then it goes up as incense. And just as a godly man expresses thankfulness in every duty, so he does in every condition. He will be thankful in adversity as well as prosperity. In everything give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 A gracious soul is thankful and rejoices that he is drawn nearer to God, even though it is by the cords of affliction. When it goes well with him, he praises God's mercy. When it goes badly with him, he magnifies God's justice. When God has a rod in his hand, a godly man will have a psalm in his mouth. The devil's striking of Job was like striking on a musical instrument. Job sounded forth praise. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave me, and the Lord has taken away. I'm sorry, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 121. When God's spiritual plants are cut and bleed, they drip thankfulness. The saints' tears cannot drown their praises. Number two, if this is the sign of a godly man, then the number of the godly will appear to be very small. Few are in the work of praise. Sinners cut God short of his thank offering. Where are the nine? Luke 17, 17. Of ten lepers healed, there was but one who returned to give praise. Most in the world are sepulchres to bury God's praise. You will hear some swearing and cursing, but few that bless God. Praise is the yearly rent that men owe, but most are behind with their rent. God gave King Hezekiah a famous deliverance, but Hezekiah did not repay according to the benefit done to him. 2 Chronicles 32.25 That but was a blot on his escuchan. Some, instead of being thankful to God, render evil for good. They are the worse for mercy. Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Deuteronomy 32.6 This is like the toad that converts the whole wholesome herd to poison. Where shall we find a grateful Christian? We need of the saints. We read of the saints having harps in their hands. Revelation 5.8 the emblem of praise. Many have tears in their eyes and complaints in their mouths, but few have harps in their hand who are blessing and praising the name of God. Use 2. Let us scrutinize ourselves and examine by this characteristic whether we are godly. Are we thankful for mercy? It is a hard thing to be thankful. Question. How may we know whether we are rightly thankful? Answer 1. We are rightly thankful when we are careful to register God's mercy. David appointed certain of the Levites to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. 1 Chronicles 16.4 Physicians say that the memory is the first thing which decays. It is true in spiritual matters. They soon forgot his works. Psalm 106.13 A godly man writes down his mercies as a physician writes his remedies. I'm sorry, as a physician writes his remedies in a book, so that they may not be lost. Mercies are jewels that should be locked up. A child of God keeps two books by him always, one to write his sins in so that he may be humble, the other to write his mercies in so that he may be thankful. Answer 2. We are rightly thankful when our hearts are the chief instrument in the music of praise. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Psalm 111.1. David would tune not only his viol, but also his heart. If the heart does not join with the tongue, there can be no concert. Where the heart is lacking, the parrot is as good a chorister as the Christian. Answer 3. We are rightly thankful when the favors which we receive endear our love to God more. David's miraculous preservation from death drew forth his love to God. I love the Lord. Psalm 116.1. It is one thing to love our mercies and another thing to love the Lord. Many love their deliverance, but not their deliverer. God is to be loved more than his mercies. Answer 4. We are rightly thankful when in giving our praise to God we see no worth worthiness from ourselves. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies you have shown your servant. Genesis 32.10. It was as if Jacob had said, Lord, the worst bit you carve for me is better than I deserve. Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look on such a dead dog as I am? 2 Samuel 9.8. So too, 
when a thankful Christian surveys his blessings and sees how much he enjoys that others lack who are better than him, he says, Lord, what am I but a dead dog, that free grace should look upon me, and that you should crown me with such loving kindness? Answer 5. We are rightly thankful when we put God's mercies out to good use. We turn our enjoyments into improvements. The Lord gives us health, and we spend and are spent for Christ. 2 Corinthians 12.15 he gives us an estate, and we honor the Lord with our substance. Proverbs 3.9 He gives us children, and we dedicate them to God and educate them for God. We do not bury our talents, but trade with them. This is to put our mercies to good use. A gracious heart is like a piece of good, around, good ground, that having received the seed of mercy produces a crop of obedience. Answer 6. We are rightly thankful when we can have our hearts more enlarged for spiritual mercies than for temporal mercies. Blessed be God, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1.3 A godly man blesses God more for a fruitful heart than a full crop. He is more thankful for Christ than for a kingdom. Socrates was accustomed to say that he loved the king's smile more than his gold. A pious soul is more thankful for a smile from God's face than he would be for all the gold of the Indies. Answer 7 We are, rightfully, we are rightly thankful when mercy is a spur to duty. It causes a spirit of activity for God. Mercy is not like the sun to the fire. To dull it, rather, it is like oil to the wheels, to make it run faster. David wisely argues from mercy to duty. You have delivered my soul from death. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 116, 8 and 9. It was a saying of Bernard, Lord, I have two mites, a soul and a body, and I give them both to you. Answer 8. We are rightly thankful when we excite others to this angelic work of praise. David not only wishes to bless God himself, but calls upon others to do so. Praise the Lord. Psalm 117.1 The sweetest music is that which is in concert. When many saints join together in concert, then they make heaven ring with their praises. As one drunkard will be calling on another, so in a holy sense one Christian must be stirring up another to the work of thankfulness. Answer 9. We are rightly thankful when we not, not only speak God's praise, but live His praise. It is called gratiarum, actio, an act of gratitude. We give thanks when we live thanks. Those who are mirrors of mercy should be patterns of piety. Upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. Obadiah 1.17 To give God praise orally and yet dishonor Him in our lives is to commit a barbarism in religion. It is to be like those Jews who bowed the knee to Christ and then spit on him. Mark fifteen nineteen. Answer 10. We are rightly thankful when we propagate God's praises to posterity. We tell our children what God has done for us. When in such a need he supplied us, from such a sickness he raised us up, in such a temptation he helped us. O God, our fathers have told us what work you did in their days, in the times of old. Psalm 44, 1. By transmitting our experiences to our children, God's name is eternalized, and His mercies will bring forth a plentiful crop of praise when we are gone. He-Man asked the question, Shall the dead praise you? Psalm 88.10 Yes, in the sense that when we are dead, we praise God, because having left the chronicles of God's mercies with our children, we start them on thankfulness, and in this way we make God's praise live when we are dead. Use 3. Let, our, let us evidence our godliness by gratefulness. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Psalm 29.2 Number 1. It is a good thing to be thankful. It is good to sing praises to our God. Psalm 147.1 It is bad when the tongue, that organ of praise, is out of tune and jars by its murmurings and discontent. But it is a good thing to be thankful. It is good because this is all the creature can do to lift up God's name. And it is good because it tends to make us good. The more thankful we are, the more holy. While we pay this tribute of praise, our stock of grace increases. In other debts, the more we pay, the less we have. But the more we pay this debt of thankfulness, the more grace we have. Number two, thankfulness is the quit rent we owe to God. King of the earth and all people, let them praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 148, 11 and 13. Praise is the tribute or custom to be paid into the king of heaven's treasury. Surely, while God renews our lease, we must renew our rent. Number three, we have great cause to be thankful. 
It is a principle grafted in nature to be thankful for benefits. The heathen praise Jupiter for their victories. What full clusters of mercies hang on us. When we go to enumerate God's mercies, we must confess with David that we are bewildered. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonderful works which you have done. They cannot be reckoned up in order. Psalm 40, verse 5. And just as God's mercies are past numbering, so they are past measuring. David takes the longest measuring line he could get. He measures from earth to the clouds, no above the clouds, and yet this measure would not reach the height of God's mercies. Your mercy is great above the heavens. Psalm 108, 4. Oh, how God has enriched us with his, with his silver showers. A whole constellation of mercies has shown in our hemisphere. Number one, what temporal favors we have received. Every day we see a new tide of mercy coming in. The wings of mercy have covered us. The breasts of mercy have fed us. The God who fed me all my life long unto this day. Genesis 48:15. What snares laid for us have been broken. What fears have blown over. The Lord has made our bed when he has made others graves. He has taken such care of us as if he had no one else to care of. Never was the cloud of providence so black that we might not see a rainbow of love in the cloud. We have been made to swim in a sea of mercy. Does not all this call for thankfulness? Number two, what may put another string into the instrument of our praise and make it sound louder is to consider what spiritual blessings God has conferred on us. He has given us water from the upper springs. He has opened the wardrobe of heaven and fetched us a better garment than any of the angels wear. He has given us the best robe and put the ring of faith on us, by which we are married to him. These are mercies of the first magnitude, which deserve to have a star put on them. And God keeps the best wine until last. Here on earth he gives us mercies only by retail, in small quantities. The greatest things are laid up for us. Here on earth there are some honey drips and foretastes of God's love. The rivers of pleasure are reserved for paradise. Well may we take the harp and vial and triumph in God's praise. Who can tread on these hot coals of God's love and not have his heart burn in thankfulness? Number four, thankfulness is the best policy. There is nothing lost by it. To be thankful for one mercy is the way, sorry, is the way to have more. It is like pouring water into a pump which fetches out more. Musicians love to sound their trumpets when there is the best echo, and God loves to bestow his mercies when there is the best echo of thankfulness. Number five, thankfulness is a frame of heart that God delights in. If repentance is the joy of heaven, praise is the music. Bernard calls thankfulness the sweet balm that drips from a Christian. There are four sacrifices God is very pleased with. The sacrifice of Christ's blood, the sacrifice of a broken heart, the sacrifice of alms, and the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving, says Mr. Greenham, is the most excellent part of God's worship, for this will continue in the heavenly choir when all other exercises of religion have ceased, referring to priming a pump so that it may draw water out of the well. What a horrid thing ingratitude is. I'm sorry, number six. What a horrid thing ingratitude is. It gives a dye and tincture to every other sin and makes it crimson. And gratitude is the spirit of baseness. Those who eat your bread have laid a trap under you. Obadiah 1.7 And gratitude is worse than being brutish. Isaiah 1.3 It is reported of Julius Caesar that he would never forgive an ungrateful person. Though God is a sin-pardoning God, he scarcely knows how to pardon for this. How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery. Jeremiah 5.7 Whose laws were written in were written in blood, published, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 5.7, Draco, whose laws were written in blood, published an edict that if any man had received a benefit from another, and it could be proved against him that he had not been grateful for it, he would be put to death. An unthankful person is a monster in nature, a paradox in Christianity. He is the scorn of heaven and the plague of earth. An ungrateful man d never does well except in one thing, and that is when he dies. Number seven, not being thankful is the cause of all the judgments which have lain on us. Our unthankfulness for health has been the cause of so much mortality. Our gospel unthankfulness and sermon surfeiting have been the reason why God has put so many lights under a bushel. Who will spend money on a piece of ground that produces nothing but briars? Unthankfulness stops up the golden vial of God's bounty so that it will not drip.
<clears throat> Question, what shall we do to be thankful? Answer one, if you wish to be thankful, get a heart deeply humbled in the sense of your own vileness. A broken heart is the best pipe to sound forth God's praise. The one who studies his sins wonders that he has anything and that God should shine on such a dunghill. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy, 1 Timothy 1.13. How thankful Paul was, how he trumpeted forth free grace. A proud man will never be thankful. He looks at all his mercies as either of his own procuring or deserving. If he has an estate, he thinks it is by his wit and industry without considering this scripture. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it he, for it he that gives you power to become rich. Deuteronomy 8.18 Pride stops the current of gratitude. O Christian, think of your unworthiness. See yourself as the least of saints and the chief of sinners, and then you will be thankful. Answer 2. Labor for sound evidences of God's love for you. Read God's love and the impress of holiness upon your hearts. God's love poured in will make the vessels of mercy run over with thankfulness. To him who loved us be glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. The deepest springs yield the sweetest water. Hearts deeply aware of God's love yield the sweetest praises. All right. And that is our reading for the night. Wow, that ran a little longer. That was our reading for tonight. So the godly man is a thankful man, is a man of thanks. The godly person is a person of thanks. And I, Watson nailed it greatly that if we truly understand how sinful and debased and what dunghills we are, then we can't help but be thankful at the wonderful gifts God has given us. The best gift of all being his son to take the, to take the punishment for our sins. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. Um, again, I, I pray that it is edifying for you. I hope you have a wonderful evening and I hope God willing, we'll see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out with the fifth day evening prayer called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts help us to be watchful over our ways jealous over our tempers diligent over our hearts when we droop revive us when we loiter quicken us when we go astray restore us possess us with more of that faith which is the principle of all vital godliness may we be rich in faith be strong in faith live by faith walk by faith experience the joy of faith do the work of faith hope through faith perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, have a great evening, and I'll see you in the morning. God bless.